Good morning. All right, I've been uh, watching this for three hours now, and every time fear of your mother-in-law comes up, people laugh. So I'm not sure what that means. But if, uh, anyway, I'm not going to go there. Welcome to fall kickoff. I'm super excited about uh, this fall, and as we look at the topic of unshakable faith in an unsteady world, uh, we need to be people gripped by faith not by fear. And that's the question we're really going to address all throughout this fall series. It's this question. What will grip you, fear or faith? Fear or faith? And we're going to kick off by watching a, a short video here. This is Norman. Norman is an ordinary guy faced with what seems to be ordinary decisions. These ordinary decisions can seem so small in the grand scheme of things but his choices today can ultimately change his entire future and the future of everyone he loves. Will today be the day he chooses to follow God or will he continue to follow his fear? Will today be the day that he chooses to stand up for someone who cannot stand up for themselves? To give up the extra in his life for someone who doesn't have enough? To break the addictions that have held him captive for years? To invest in his kids instead of his job. To trust in God instead of his money, his career, his habits. You see, fear is winning in Norman's life. He wants to do the amazing, the incredible. But he is terrified of the unknown. Terrified of losing control. This fear is paralyzing and Norman cannot move. He cannot move into action and take chances. His fear makes him settle for what is second rate. Just like Norman, you too have a decision to make. Which one would you let win in your life? Your fear or your faith? So Norman is paralyzed by fear. Fear does that to you. It stops you in your tracks. Fear, as Pastor Aaron shared about last week, often has the focus of circumstances, whereas faith is focused on God and the possibilities that are there by trusting in Him. Years ago, I was at our district camp in Cedar Falls, um, or Cedar, Cedar Canyon Camp, excuse me, in Rapid City. Um, and, and at this camp, we have a high ropes course, uh, a climbing wall, um, some obstacle things that go up and down for rope climbing. And right in the middle of this little course in this, on this beautiful retreat uh, camp in the middle of the hills is this thing called the Leap of Faith. And the leap of faith is nothing more than a gigantic telephone pole, and it's like 30 feet in the air, and it's 12 inches in diameter, and you're supposed to climb up, get on top of this pole, so now I'm about 30 feet off the ground. Can you visualize that? And I think there's some pictures behind me to give you kind of that perspective. Um, but you're, you're high up in the air, and on, on this pole, then you're supposed to jump and grab a trapeze bar that's about eight to 10 feet away from you, it's quite a little bit of leap. That's why it's called a leap of faith. You're harnessed in, so you have a harness, and you're not really gonna fall to your death, but still, the height's there, it's scary, and I remember being there at one camp, and a young lady climbed up the pole, but she didn't quite make it to the top. 
She got about a foot from the top, and she did the bear hug. <laughs> she just wrapped her on the pole. She was so afraid. I shouldn't laugh, but it was kind of funny. And so all of us that were there at the time began to encourage her. You can do it. Just climb up two more feet. You can do it. It's possible. About 20 minutes later, she's still <laughs> on the pole, so it began to be, you can do it. Come on. You can do it. Well, another about another 10 minutes went on. I'm not kidding you. We're now half an hour into her being clamped on that pole, and I begin to say, shake the pole. Pull on the harness. Get her off of that thing. She's stuck. She's not coming down. Force her to come down, you know. My sympathy let me, left me real quick. Oftentimes, when we're full of fear, it paralyzes us. You become immobilized by that fear. The ancient Israelites had just such a moment where God was saying, it's time to take a leap of faith. It's time to trust me. It's time to jump into my will. They had been delivered from Egypt. They're now standing on the edge of the promised land. And God has commanded them to go into the promised land, but they froze up. They got paralyzed by fear. They did what I call now a Norman. No, just nervous. I can't do it. I want to read about what transpired there and look at what caused them to have fear. Um, let me give you a little bit of background, though, before I get to a, a short text on what happened to them. You have Moses, this great leader of Israel, getting instructions from God. You're, you're going to go into this land. What I want you to do is take... A, a, a leader from all 12 tribes of Israel now, send them into the land I'm gonna, uh, I've given you to explore it. So these 12 leaders go into the land and explore it, and they come back with a report to Moses. Now what they were supposed to do is look at the land, see if it was good or bad, see you know, if it was a fruitful land, if there were fortified cities, how many people were living there, was the soil any good? And I always find this one kind of humorous, are there any trees? Now, I would never have thought about trees until I lived in northwest North Dakota, because there aren't any trees up there. So I could see why Moses would say, see if there be any trees in the land you're going into. So the 12 explorers come back. Now, two were courageous men. They wanted to take the land. They were Joshua and Caleb. But the other 10 had a but to the report. They get back and they say, uh, the, the 12 in totality get back and say, hey, the land really is flowing with milk and honey. It's a bountiful place. And they had some fruit uh, that represented what was there in the land. But happened next. Ten of them said, but there are fortified cities. But there are descendants of Anak there. But, but, but. And they filled the people with fear. And it was all loud fear, evidently, because Caleb at one point had to kind of shush the crowd and say, we can do it. We should go in. We should possess the land. But the butt people won out. And fear pervade, uh, prevailed. And they were people gripped by fear, not by faith. Let me read to you about it in Numbers chapter 13, verses 31 through 33. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explore devours those living in it. 
All the people we saw there are a great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. I have a picture of a grasshopper. He's not Jiminy Cricket. Even though Jiminy Cricket looks like a grasshopper, he's a cricket. Anyway, that has nothing to do with the message. But looking at this guy, doesn't he just say, who, me? Doesn't he have that expression in his cute little grasshopper face? Who, me? This is the Israelites. Who, me? I'm just a little grasshopper. I can't take and do God's will. The people there are overwhelming, and look at me. I'm just a grasshopper. This generation of Israelites that were standing on the edge of the promised land that were supposed to go in and experience the great wonders and the mighty deliverance of God, they suffer from grasshopper syndrome. Grasshopper syndrome. They saw themselves as inadequate and small, and they looked at the circumstances, and those loomed large, and they all but forgot God. And what God had done. They had forgotten that God had delivered them by signs and wonders from their Egyptian captors, who were a mighty people. They had forgotten the, the smoke pillar during the day that led them and the fire pillar at night that led them. And they got to this moment, this defining moment in their life where God says it's time to take the leap of faith. It's time to trust me and go into the promised land. And they suffered from pole-clinging, Normanizing grasshopper syndrome. They couldn't do. They were paralyzed by their fear. Fast forward with me now. That generation that refused to do God's will has all died off, except for the two men, Joshua and Caleb, who said, we can do it. Let's go do it. Moses, that great leader of ancient Israel, he's now dead. God has raised up Joshua as the new leader. Now God comes to this new generation of Israelites that has grown up to their new leader, Joshua, and he issues the challenge. Are you ready for the leap of faith? Are you ready to step into the new land? Will fear grip your heart or will faith grip your heart? And God gives Joshua a challenge. And let me just summarize the challenge for you. It's a challenge to a new generation. Will you be a generation that says, enough of the grasshopper syndrome. I choose faith over fear. That's my summary of God's challenge to Joshua. Will you be enough? A generation that says enough of the grasshopper syndrome, I choose faith over fear. Let me read to you Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. This is God's challenge to Joshua. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river of the Euphrates to all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do those words sound familiar? What did Jesus say in the New Testament? I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. 
Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's our theme verse for the next several weeks. Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So God issues this challenge to Joshua, the new leader of this new generation of Israelites. And here's what Joshua then passes on to the people. Here's what he says to the people. It's verses 10 and 11. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan. That's the Jordan River. You will cross the Jordan here and go into, uh, go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you for your own. Let me take you on a super significant tangent to our topic of faith. It's really part of the topic of faith, but it's a bit of a tangent. Joshua says what? How many days? Three all over the Bible, there's a three-day period frequently for God to move and do something great. It's like a biblical timetable of anticipation. Joseph, the son of Jacob, the one that received the coat of many colors, the one whom brothers betrayed him and sold him into slavery, he ends up in prison in Egypt. While in prison in Egypt, a cupbearer ends up in prison with him. He had fell out of favor with Pharaoh the king. And the cupbearer had a dream. And Joseph interpreted the dream. And basically the dream was something like this. In three days, you'll be restored back to your position of cupbearer. It's like a time period of anticipation. God told Moses as the Israelites were exiting Egypt and going to go to Mount Sinai to, to worship. He said, in three days... I will visit you on Mount Sinai. Consecrate yourself. Three days has all kinds of significance in the Bible. Hosea the prophet penned these words in Hosea chapter 6, verse 2. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will restore, uh, restore us that we may live in his peace. How many days was Jonah in the belly of the fish? Three days. We're on a theme here, guys. Three days. He was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. One pastor said this. He imagined that Jonah began to pray, Oh God, just let me go out the same way I came in. Yeah, it'll come to you. Maybe it wasn't that funny. But at any rate, you'll go out the same way you came in. Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the third day. Our Savior rose from the dead on the third day. Captives were set free, mountains quaked, and the power of God was unleashed on his creation. We're third-day people, amen? And so this three-day command to Joseph and gang is to create anticipation. It's not so much about the three days. It's about this idea that as people of faith, not people of fear, we're to always be anticipating 
what God will do. There should always be rumbling in our spirits uh, an expectation that God will do far more than we can imagine or hope for. There should be built into our faith experience an anticipation factor. Amen? What is God going to do now? What is God up to now? So here's a faith perspective I want you to get this morning. You are called to live in anticipation of what God will do. And often you have to trust your unknown future to this known God. You're to live in this expectation. Even though you don't know what's going to happen, you know who God is. And you trust him with your future. So we go back to Joshua and the Israelites. It's now the third day. It's the third day, and they're supposed to take and follow God by faith on this day. Something grand is going to happen. They're supposed to enter into the promised land. They're supposed to start this journey of faith. They didn't know what lie ahead, but they knew God, and they knew God was reliable. You can trust an unknown future to a known God. By the way, that's why we spent 10 weeks this summer addressing the question, who is God? Because the more you know God, the more you'll trust him with your future. It's imperative. It's an absolute requirement that we know God as people of God. Because the more we know him, the more we know his character, the more we will trust our future to him. You know, I'm tired of the fear-mongering I see going on all the time. Do you know what I mean by that? Oh, what happens if this candidate gets elected? What happens if that candidate gets elected? Oh, we're going to fall apart. No, we're not. Because greater is God than politics. We don't live by fear. When anything starts creating in you fear, that's not of the Lord. We are people governed by faith, not by fear. Once you get who God is, you'll trust an unknown future to this known God. Here's what I was thinking this week. I would be full of fear if I was facing the future in my life without knowing God. I'd be full of all kinds of fear. That describes my before Jesus Christ experience. I was full of all kinds of fear and anxiety. It's now the third day. It's a moment when something special is going to happen. Listen to what God instructs Joshua and the Israelites to do in Joshua chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. You don't want to be knights, amen? And I always think when I read parasites of parasites, but I don't know why I do that. But at any rate, you didn't want to be a knight back in those days. Listen to what he says next. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, Set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. You can read through this instruction really quickly and read into the rest of the story and not get something super significant here. 
This little section of scripture illuminates what it means to follow God in faith. What it means to be a person who's gripped by faith, not gripped by fear. It's often called, and I like this terminology, the law of the first step. The law of the first step. And here's the law of the first step. Sometimes God waits to act until you begin to move in faith. God said, as soon as a priest take that step into the water, then you will see my power unleashed. Sometimes God waits to act until you begin to move in faith. You see, faith propels you as a follower of God. Fear does what? Paralyzes you. You have grasshopper syndrome. You cling to the pole. You become a Norman. Faith propels, fear paralyzes. Now, as noted in the scripture, the moment the priests set their foot in the water, the water were to quit flowing. That first step, by the way, into the Jordan, that was a doozy of a step that was being asked for these priests to take. God was going to act once they stepped into the water, but we need to understand faith really needed to grip their heart. This would be a big step of faith. And here's why I say that. I want to give you a little background on the Jordan and what's going on in the river at this time. If you were to look just several verses down from where I just finished reading and get to verse 15, you would read this little line. The Jordan was at flood stage. Oh, boy. Let me give you a little background on what it meant that the Jordan was at flood stage. Here's a map of the Jordan. The Jordan begins in Mount Hermon, 7,000-foot elevation, ends at the Dead Sea. That's uh, 1,290 feet below sea level. So basically, it descends 8,000 feet over the course of its running. Um, The Jordan name means river that descends rapidly. This is not a little brook. This is not a little stream. They're not going to walk across this thing on some rocks and stones. It's, It's a raging river during flood stage. Now, normally, in this picture too, please, normally the Jordan is not that hard to, to, to cross when it's not in flood stage, when it's not, you know, right after the snow melts and all the springs are feeding into it. Normally, it's, it's, it's easy to cross. In fact, archaeologists say there are about 60 places that the Jordan was crossed. But if you notice in this picture, the Jordan, it was in kind of a valley. It was kind of in a gorge. It's called a zor. And when it would flood, it would fill up the zor. Let's go to that. It would fill up that zor. So it didn't like flood into the plains and become just a big flooded area. It flooded into this deep crevice kind of thing, okay? And that zor was about 150 feet across and about 10 to 20 feet deep. So when you were stepping off into this thing, it goes down fast. So if you're the priest carrying the ark, I want you to imagine this with me. You're the priest carrying the ark. You're, you're at the front of the ark. You might look at your buddy in the back and say, you know what, I was in the front yesterday. I think it's your turn to be in the front because I tell you what, that ark is not a flotation device. It is a boat anchor. It's heavy. It sinks. And you're carrying this heavy thing on your shoulder and you're supposed to step where? Into a raging river. This was a step of death unless God intervened. There's no harness like in the leap of faith. There's no, there's no safety net here. You step in as a priest into that water, and it's going to suck you right down, and you're holding a boat anchor on your shoulders. I, uh, 
have a couple of uh, experiences with water in my life. Uh, we have this lake place that we've had for 40 some years that I go to frequently up in northern Minnesota. And you walk into the water there and it's super gradual. It gets, you know, 30 feet about here, about another 10 feet. It's, you know, it's not, you don't get into the water very quickly. And I grew up by the Mississippi River. I was about a block or two off the Mississippi River. So as a young man, guess where I was all the time? Down by the Mississippi River. Water just attracts boys. And there was something you knew about the Mississippi River, especially where I lived. I lived in Brooklyn Park, and there was a big dam right where we lived. And we lived on the lower side of the dam. The river was huge right there. It was already getting really big, really dangerous. And in the springtime, guess what? It was a raging river because they had to open up the dam. They had to let the water out. And it would just be raging. And normally in these little pools where you could play and cross, they would be eight to nine feet and water running like crazy. And you never wanted to step into that because you would get swept away and killed. And some people actually got killed underneath the Coon Rapid Dam when I was a young man. So we had this respect of that water. When I think of what God was asking these priests to do, you know what I think of? The Mississippi in the springtime. It's flowing like crazy. The water's running hard. It's, it's 10, to, 10 to 15 feet deep. And if, if God did not show up when they stepped into that water, what would happen? They would die. And we're told that the priest took that first step into the water, and it stopped flowing. And it piled up at a little town called Adam. And it quit flowing, and they were able to walk across on dry land. This generation whose hearts were gripped by faith, not by fear, who said enough of the grasshopper syndrome, I'm following God. What did they experience? The mighty hand of God, because they were people of faith, not fear. And this is where we're going to end today, because I want to spend the rest of the day giving you a challenge. A challenge. What is your Jordan River? Where is God asking you to take a step of faith today? The truth is that we're all going to face many Jordan rivers in our lives, many things that are going to have troubling attributes, circumstances that are overwhelming. And if we look at the circumstances and the troubles, they'll overwhelm us with fear. And God is saying, I want you to be overwhelmed instead with my presence and my sufficiency. Your Jordan can be identified by what causes you to fear as a person, what causes you to doubt God as a person. That's how you can identify your Jordan River. I remember as a young 13-year-old man with that tension of, do I give my life to Jesus Christ or not? I had lived so full of fear up to that point. I lived in Brooklyn Park. It's kind of a rough piece of the cities. There's a lot of gangs even back when I lived in there. And so you kind of always were watching over your shoulder and making sure that you didn't get alone in certain places. It just wasn't safe. My home environment I grew in was very, very unsafe too. It was, and so I had fear. I had fear all the time in just trying to survive. And then when I, I just was like, God, can I trust you? Are you really who you say you are? Because I'm tired of being afraid. And I remember giving my life to Jesus, and it was stepping from a fear-driven, fear-based existence to a faith-based existence immediately. And you know the first thing that God did? He just overwhelmed my heart with his peace. And I began to be able to sleep at night 
was such a cool experience, but now I can't sleep at night anymore because I'm getting old. Um, but just, just that was my first Jordan River. Then it became, do I tell my parents? How do I witness? There's the Jordan River again. And fear began to well up. Oh, I don't know. What will they say? Will they accept me? Will they just ridicule me? And there he is. There's that fear. And there's their Jordan River. And then I remember starting a new job at 3M and being challenged by God. Will you live for me? Will you live all out? Will you let people know you're a Christ follower? And I remember going, <sighs> getting nervous. As, there's that fear. There's my Jordan River again. You see, you have all kinds of Jordan Rivers in your lives. And I remember getting my first little kid born. You know, I'm thinking, oh man, what a, this is so much responsibility. I don't know if I know how to even do any of this. There it is. There's that Jordan River. And I had friends who were sincere followers of Christ that had grown up with me and said, we're not going to have any kids because the times we live in are so troubling. Who in their right mind would bring any kids into this kind of situation? Now I look back at them and said, they were fear-driven. We're not going to be fear-driven. We're going to be what? Face-driven. They sounded so intellectual and they sounded so cool and they were so utterly wrong. Because what they were saying was based on fear, not on trust in God. We all have many Jordan rivers that we have to face. And who will prevail becomes the question. Will God prevail or will fear prevail? And the question that you'll face over and over again in your life will be, do I trust God or am I just a glasshopper? Am I a pole-clinging, Norman kind of personality? Our theme for this series Unshakable faith in an unsteady world is Joshua 1 9. I'd like us to read that out loud. Would you read it with me, please, out loud? Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Jesus made this promise in the New Testament never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We serve a God who sees things that are not as though they are. Here's what I want to ask you to do this week. Identify your Jordan River. We all have one. You have something where you go, oh man, I I have a hard time trusting God here, or something that bothers me, a little fear wells up within you, or, or whatever. Identify your Jordan River. Name what that thing is. Then next week, we're going to get back together again and we're going to address it. I want to give you seven days to anticipate what God will do. It's a little longer than the three days that's in the Bible. But the idea is to anticipate what God would do. And next week, we're going to have a service that's just geared towards addressing that Jordan River issue in all of our lives. And every one of us has one. I have them. I could probably name five or six that I I just look at the new levels of responsibility that God brings into my life sometimes are overwhelming. Sometimes when I look at our church, we're getting to be a church of 1,500, 2,000 now. I'm going, oh, oh, man. I remember when I was asked to pastor, and I asked Isaac, can I not have to manage any people anymore? Can I go to a place without any staff? I'm looking at Dave, I don't know why. <laughs> and, and it just seems like there's just like a gaggle of them now. There's just lots of them. That's a geese. Oh, I don't know why I go there. Anyway, but just all these things where I thought, oh, I thought maybe I was getting out of that. Now it's just like huge and bigger, and there's so many people, which is great, right? Praise God, right? But sometimes 
if I'm honest with you, there are some days where I go, oh God, I would really like to just like turn a wrench. Nothing wrong with turning wrenches. That's what I do in the weekends I fix cars. At any rate, so there's like a Jordan River for me. I go, oh, that God, greater are you. You are greater, amen, right? And then you have 12 grandkids and all, now you got daughters-in-law and sons-in-law. So I didn't have enough before. I got a whole bunch of people now. And so God always brings you to these new levels of interaction and new levels of dependence. There's always a fresh Jordan. What's your Jordan River you're facing right now? Identify, name it, pray about it, and be in anticipation of what God will do in your life in that area. We are third-day people. We are people who are supposed to anticipate what God will do in faith. At Grace Point, what I see is this. What I visualize is this. I see a group of people gripped by faith, not by fear. Amen? I see a bunch of people, I'm going to say it again, gripped by faith, not by fear. I see a bunch of people anticipating what God will do in their lives. He will do more than you can hope or imagine. I see a bunch of us beginning to anticipate that. I see a whole bunch of people latched on to Jesus Christ, dependent on him. Be strong and courageous, brothers and sisters. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. We're going to end with prayer now. I want to encourage you, if you have any specific prayer needs, that there will be a prayer team over here on the back of the church, and you can make your way over there and have some prayer. Um, Don't leave here carrying something that God wants you to pray with a brother or sister uh, about. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord God, I want to thank you um, for this kickoff moment, but it really is only a moment. What I pray transpires is that we would truly become people gripped by faith, not by fear. God, we don't want to be a Norman paralyzed in indecision. We don't want to be that gal clinging to the top of the uh, leap of faith pole, paralyzed. We don't want to be one to have grasshopper syndrome, who see ourselves as small and our problems as large. We want to be people gripped by faith, people focused on who you are, God, and your sufficiency and your uh, ableness to just uh, do more than we can even probably imagine. We want to be people who are so utterly in love with you, Lord Jesus Christ, that your perfect love casts out all fear. We want to be people who would be said of, they anticipate, they look forward to what God will do. That's who we want to be in you, Jesus Christ. Grace us to be that very kind of people, would you? Fill us anew with the hope of Jesus Christ. Ground us on the who are you, God, understanding. We know, God, that you're sufficient, merciful, loving, that uh, you judge righteously, that you're sovereign over all the affairs of people. We know that you're big enough and also that you're intimate enough, God, 
to meet every, every obstacle or every trial that we'll ever face in life perfectly. So this day we trust in you, a new God. We declare that we're people gripped by faith and not by fear. Would you bless everyone here this morning with that kind of heart attitude, I pray, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.